You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. It's always good to hear how long the conversation keeps going after we're welcomed back. Um, But it's good to be gathered here this morning. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is David. Um, I am uh, kind of an elder emeritus here at the Vine. I was an elder for about 10 years. Um, If you've noticed, I have a lot of little boys that circle around me. There's four of them. Um, Yep, hi, Matthias. Um, That my wife, Jacqueline, and I are entrusted with. And kind of in light of that, I'm thankful to have been able to step back for an indefinite season from eldership and the day-to-day responsibilities of that uh, to focus on my family for this season, and that's been such a blessing. Um, I'm also thankful, though, that Zach asked me to fill the pulpit this week, and it's been a joy and a privilege to uh, spend the last few weeks um, studying God's Word in a particular way. I want to remind you that there's Bibles in the back here, and those may be helpful for you. It should be up on the screen as we go as well. Sometimes just following along in the Bible, seeing what's before, seeing what's after, is helpful in following what's going on. Well, I was just telling Ross, I can stand up and speak at work in front of any number of people, and it's just natural. I could probably do it in my sleep at this point, um, but I feel a particular weight and responsibility as we come to the Lord's Word. So let's start our time in prayer together. Our Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching and hearing of your Word. Would you lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees? and make straight paths for our feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God, would you give refreshment to the weary, hope to the hopeless. We pray to the glory of your name. Amen. One more quick note. We're not going to do Q&A here at the end of the sermon, but there are definitely some parts in this passage. Zach gave me this text, and it's kind of the one as I was reading through 1 Samuel. I just kind of skipped over. I'm like, that looks hard. Um, and the commentary is like, this is one of the more challenging texts to interpret in all of Scripture. Thanks, Zach. Hope you're enjoying your anniversary weekend. Um, but it's truly been a joy to dig into it. But that said, there's going to be some things you're like, hold on, what's going on here? How do we interpret David's actions? So don't use the QR code, or you can. Uh, we'll see what comes in, and maybe the elders might want to respond further. But I'd be happy if you want to come up after the sermon to talk through any of those things with you. Um, this text is really interesting, I think, as well. That said, let's start with this question. Do you ever want to just give up? (laughs) Do you ever encounter things in life, in school, in work, in parenting, where you're just worn out and you just want to give up? I do. Think about in the workplace. Sometimes my job is uniquely challenging. I usually enjoy it, but sometimes there's weeks where it's just coming after me, challenge after challenge, issue after issue, seems like there's not a path forward. It seems like the easiest thing would just be to say, I'm done. Now, what I normally do is try to step back from that every so often and say, okay, what do I know about my job? What has been good in the past? What's been hard in the past? How do I know my employer's attitude toward me? The trust that we have together. And usually you can work through that and find a path forward. There is a a legend at my employer, though, and I I think it's true, of this guy who one Friday 
had had enough. And he closed his laptop at the end of the day, put a sticky note on it, got in his car, drove to Chicago, took the next plane to South America. Didn't come back. That sounds pretty appealing sometimes, right? Like sometimes I'm working through work problems or other issues. I'm like, what would really happen? Like maybe I could do that, right? But there's consequences if we abandon our commitments, right? You can't just hit the ejector button and run away without consequences. I don't think that that employee would have been offered his job back three months later if he had returned. What about in our faith? As Christians, we live in this already but not yet of this life, right? We've already been forgiven of our sins, but we've not yet seen our sin fully defeated in our lives. And in this in-between, there's suffering and there's hardships, both because of our faith and just because that's how this broken world works. So how do we live in this in-between time? Well, we're called to remember who God is, remember his promises to us, and believe that he is faithful to save us and to preserve us. And that's exactly what we've seen from David for most of this story, right? We remember, if you think back uh, a couple of months ago now, David was told by God that he would be the next king of Israel. He was anointed with oil, meaning he was marked with that oil with a promise of God that God said he would fulfill and that David would become the next king. But the time from receiving that promise to obtaining it is filled with hardship. Hasn't it been? You might remember Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Now David went out to face Goliath, who was taunting God's armies, saying that God was not able to save his people. And David walked out there on the battlefield against him, and it looked like a mismatch. And it was, because God was on David's side. We see here that David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. God is going to deliver me. It's not about my strength. It's about God's strength and God keeping his promises. What a picture of trusting God. Well, after this, David's popularity grows, and Saul, the current king, becomes jealous. Makes sense. Here's this David. Everyone loves him, doing great things. And Saul's jealousy leads him to try to kill David multiple times. But even though Saul keeps pursuing David, God keeps David safe. And David has the chance multiple times to kill Saul and take the throne. You might remember this a couple weeks ago, James preached preached from 1 Samuel 24. And this was where David was in a cave hiding from Saul. Saul comes in completely defenseless. And David has the opportunity right there to end it. Make his suffering go away. Do the easy thing that takes away your problems. But we see in chapter 24 what David says instead to Saul. He says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, David is trusting God here. Even though God has promised a thing, David knows that the path to that, that God would have him take, does not go through sin. Sin doesn't save, and David refuses to use sin to obtain the promises of God. So we see outward faith time after time. 
we also see inward expressions of faith. Zach preached from Psalm 57 a few weeks ago. This is when David was in the cave thinking about how oppressed he was, but he puts his trust in God. He talks to God. He brings his fears to God, his doubts to God. He says in Psalm 57, I cry out to God most high. He's taking his concerns to God, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. Hear that? He's remembering that God has promised and that God will do it. God will send out his steadfast love. He remembers God's character, who God is. This is David's inward prayer life as well. Even in the midst of suffering and hardship, he's taking it to God. Isn't David an amazing example of faith? We could all aspire to be like him. He's a man of faith. He's destined for great things. Don't we all want to be like David? I bet he plays guitar at youth group. The problem is, when we come to chapter 27, the man who trusted God in all these things suddenly doesn't. He just doesn't. So what happens when the bottom falls out of David's faith? What happens after David does the ancient Israelite equivalent of the next plane to Argentina? We're going to go into the depths with David. We're going to see just how bad it can get. When we come out the other side, we're going to have more confidence that you can trust God in your darkest days because he saves from the deepest depths. You can trust God in your darkest days because he saves from the deepest depths. So here, in 1 Samuel 27, that's where our text is today. See, this is things that an experienced preacher would really nail. They'd say, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 27. You'd be flipping through right now. I'm giving you time, even right now, to get there. It's going to be on the screen as well. If you just drift your eyes upward, you see that right before this, this is again where David had the opportunity to take Saul out. Even easier this time, his men were just saying, let us do it for you, David. All David had to do was look the other way and his problems go away. But he said, no, I'm going to trust God in what is right. And then it immediately transitions to this. Let's read this together. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Let's pause there for a minute. You see what it says right away? Then David said in his heart. See the switch that happened? In the Psalms, David's talking to God. All the concerns, doubts, fears... He says them to God. It's no holds barred. But here, David's saying it to himself. The conversation with God stopped. This is a dangerous place. Not only did he stop talking to God, but he's also reached this point of certainty that God isn't going to keep his promises. You see that? Now I shall perish. There's no doubt in David's mind that it's hopeless. Now, we should take this kind of doubt very seriously. If this is where your heart is this morning in trusting God, I pray that seeing David's path here and God's faithfulness in it, that God would use that to call you back and to encourage you. 
But we also shouldn't be hard on David. We should recognize his situation here. Physically, he's been worn down. He's been on the run. He's been sleeping on rocks. Emotionally, he's been under constant assault of death by Saul. Relationally, his men are encouraging him to do what he knows is wrong. And so spiritually, is it surprising that maybe something breaks there? Maybe some of you have experienced this kind of coming together of all of these different hardships where you just aren't thinking rationally about it anymore. You maybe know what's true, but it's just not what you feel. And I think that's maybe where David is here. So if we can appreciate why David broke and how God is still faithful, I think we can gain a greater trust in God in all of our hardships. Now the problem for David is that this doubt doesn't just stay as doubt, he turns it into action. He turns it into actions that don't trust God. David decided that he would provide for himself better than God could. So David's plan, we see here, is he's going to leave Israel. He's going to run away from Saul and hope that Saul doesn't follow him. So it says here, down at the bottom of uh, verse uh, 2 here, David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Now what this doesn't tell you here is that Gath is in the land of the Philistines. These are the enemies of God, and this is the king of them. Gath, you might even remember, is where Goliath is from. So David is running right to the enemy. What's your plan here, David? <laughs> like, what are you going to do? How are you going to live among your enemies with 600 men in your family? Well, we're going to see that David is going to need to earn the trust of Achish. He needs to become valuable to Achish so that he can live safely. And the way that he does that, we're going to see, is he's going to set up Achish as his new king. He's going to look to Achish as his king, as his lord. And David is going to make himself a servant. You remember Psalm 57? David said, I will take shadow, refuge in the shadow of your wings. He's saying, God is my protection. And now he's saying, I'm going to Achish. Achish is going to be my protection. He's looking to Achish for what God has promised. Let's keep reading here. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. So what did David do here? He asked Achish for a place, for a land. Well, again, if we back up and think about the history of Israel, God promised Abraham a land for his people. And when God rescued the Israelites from slavery, he said, I'm going to deliver you back to the land that I promised. And God said to David, you're going to be the king of this land that I've promised. And now David says to Achish, can you give me a land? Doesn't that just break your heart for David? He so severely shifted his trust and his allegiance to someone other than God just want to call out to him, David, no, you don't have to do it this way. You don't need a place or protection from Achish. God has already promised you these things. 
But David forgot God's promises, and he forgot God's proven record of faithfulness. Well, David's going to need to make all of this work now. And what is already heartbreaking just gets worse. Now you can see here, down at the bottom of verse 7, this last line here, it says, the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Meaning, it said back in verse uh, 4 that uh, Saul stopped chasing him. Saul left him alone. And it worked for about a year and a half. And that's the thing about David's plan and entrusting in ourselves instead of God. It will work for a while, but it's going to work at a cost. Now, we maybe aren't familiar with how this relationship between a lord or a king and their servant in the ancient Near East works, but I think there's a modern equivalent. If you um, maybe watch some television shows, everything I know about the mafia I've learned from television. And... uh, Say you've got a problem that you don't really know how to deal with it, but your cousin Vinny reminds you about your uncle in Jersey. Your uncle works maybe in waste management, but you're not really sure. And he says, I think that our uncle could take care of that problem you have. Well, you've got a choice now. You could ask that uncle for help, and he'll make the problem go away, right? But we all know, if you watch television, that then you owe your uncle a favor, right? That help from an unrighteous source, will come at a cost, right? We all know this to be true. David is going to have a cost. The cost for David is going to be his character, his righteousness. David's doubted God. David's acted on his doubts. David's trusted Achish instead of God. And now David is going to need to sin to maintain his new system. If we look down in verse 8, we see that one comes next is how David makes all of this work. Before we read this really quickly, what's going on here is David's going on raids. He's going to attack villages. He's going to take possessions. He's going to give some of those possessions to Achish, and he's going to keep some to provide for his men. So let's read this. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gizarites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Nega of Judah. Now, real quick, this confused me at first when I was reading this because I was like, hold on, how is like he going to Judah when he's going to Egypt? He's lying, right? He's saying that he's raiding one place, but he's actually raiding another. David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. So again, David is raiding to provide for his men, to earn the trust of Achish. But he does it in a way that's reprehensible, even by the rules of war. He's leaving no one alive. 
It's ruthlessness. You can imagine David's heart just hardening in its violence as his men carry out the raids. And this text tells us why he does it that way. It's so that he can lie about it to Achish, to earn Achish's trust. Now, the added element here is that David is telling Achish that he's raiding the enemies of Israel, or rather, that he's raiding Israel when he's actually raiding the enemies of Israel. This leads Achish to think, I've got David in my pocket. The cost of David maintaining his new self-dependent system is sin, and the problem is that sin never saves. You ever had your system kind of collapse down on you when you've got this machination of how it's all going to work? I had this situation once, not really sin per se, but um, Matthias and I were picking up uh, Chick-fil-A for the family. Now, you all know that Chick-fil-A waffle fries are delicious, and even mentioning this now on a Sunday when it's unobtainable is a cruelty. They're that good. But you also know, I learned this during the pandemic, that fried food is really best when it's fresh, isn't it? It's just worth it then, right? So we get in the car, we've got the bag. Thank you, my pleasure, etc. And I look down at that bag and I say, that waffle fry looks good. So I sneak one. Matthias noticed, though. So I've got a choice here. Do I say, okay, that's it, we're not eating anymore right now? Or do I set up a new system? Reach over, hand one back grab another for myself. So it continues all the drive home, but we've got a problem now. I don't know if you know this, but one does not simply walk into your house and open up a bag of Chick-fil-A and have an empty container of waffle fries. (laughs) Right? There are consequences when we make these decisions that are compromised. Sooner or later, we're going to pay the price. When you go down that path of compromise, additional compromise choices, have another fry, Matthias, will seem like the best choice, but none of them will get you out of that position. Let's think about this for ourselves. If you're looking to money for security, might you compromise on decisions in how you approach your job or compromising time with your family to earn more money? It might work for a while. If you look to relationships for your identity and you begin to compromise about how you present yourself, maybe falsely, not who you really are, is that going to work forever? If you value acceptance by others and you begin to abandon what God says to earn that acceptance, again, might work out for a while, but how does that work eventually? Sooner or later, that compromise eats away at you, eats away at you, and you can't stand on it anymore. We're going to see that with David. His compromised system of sin, starting with doubting God, going to trusting Achish, sinning to make it work, now is going to crumble. We're going to go to rock bottom with David here. That happens ahead in chapter 29. Now, 28, the story kind of shifts back to Israel because what we have happening here in this story is David and Saul have been separated for a year, And Saul is still kind of continuing a very Saul path. But those two paths are going to collide because the armies of the Philistines are going up against the armies of Israel here in chapter 29. 
So let's take a look at this. The Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. This is just a classic line up the armies, getting ready to go to war. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? Great question. Like, really good question. Aren't we going to war against these Hebrews right now? Aren't they over there by the spring in Jezreel and we're ready to march? What are these Hebrews doing here? Now, David here is lined up to go to war against Israel. He's lined up actually as kind of Achish's bodyguard in a position of trust and importance in the army. David, who once killed Goliath, the champion of Gath, is now the new champion of Gath, the eyes of Achish. All of this, though, leads him right back to where he started. Remember how this whole thing started? He said, Saul's going to kill me. I don't trust God. I'm going to run away so that I don't have to face this with Saul. Where has it led him? Right back where he started. Lining up with the army of the Philistines against the army of Israel. Is he going to go to war? Is he going to go fight his own countrymen? Maybe raise sword against Saul or Jonathan, even worse? Maybe his actual brothers? Or is he going to say to Achish, actually, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. I don't really want to go to war against Israel. Well, that's a problem. Achish thinks that he's earned David's complete trust, that David is completely loyal. If you look at the numbers here, David's got 600, and the Philistines are marching around him by the thousands. There's no path out of this. David is faced with an impossible choice, a deadly choice. His sin has not only put David in danger, but the lives of his men and even his family. Seen that in your life? This is a place where maybe if you're visiting this morning and you don't know this concept of sin, it's not something you embrace, what we tell you is sin is is an offense against God. It's doing what God says is wrong. And so often with sin, we also see how it just tears things apart in our lives. Their sin destroys relationships. It causes harm to those we love. But the good news for David, and the good news for us, is that the story doesn't end in the depths. God's going to save David from this impossible situation. Now, how? Sometimes when God rescues his people, it's big and it's obvious. If you're familiar with the story of when God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt, they were marching out of Egypt. Pharaoh had let them go, but Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the army, the strongest army in the world at that time, after Israel. They're running and they're up against the Red Sea. Impossible body of water to cross. Army behind. What do you do? Well, God provides a way. He parts the sea, lets Israel pass safely, defeats Israel. Amazing, beautiful, big saving of God. But also, a few decades before, there was a baby that was supposed to be killed, that was put in a basket, 
and floated down the Nile and just happened to go to just the right spot to be saved by just the right princess of Egypt, to be raised in just the right family for just the right time that God would use Moses to save his people. See, God saved and God kept his promises both ways. Sometimes it's a pillar of fire and a parting of the sea. And sometimes it looks smaller, but it's God's faithfulness either way. And with that in mind, let's keep reading here. So the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years, And since he deserted to me, I've found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Maybe. Is this not David? of whom they sing to one another in dances. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. I'd like to think that rhymes, maybe. I don't know, in the Hebrew. Let's just summarize this. It's kind of a point-counterpoint, right? We have, we have the commanders, so kind of the lieutenants of the Philistine army, and we have Achish. So the commanders say, why are these Israelites here when we're going to fight other Israelites? Achish says, Don't worry, David's my guy, we're good, he's cool. Commanders, they literally sing songs about how he kills thousands of us. And Achish says, fair point. You can't really argue with that, right? And so Achish, in this position, has no choice but to release David, to send him back to his land and to say, sit this one out. Now, where this gets interesting is what Achish says next here in verse 6. Let's take a look at that. In verse 6, Then Achish called David to him and said, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. You see that Lord there in the text? In the all caps. Right? That is not the same as the lowercase Lord. The all caps Lord is Yahweh. It's the relationship, the covenant, the promise-keeping name of God. It's the name God told Moses when he said he was going to rescue his people out of slavery. This is the God, the name of the God who keeps his promises. This is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. See, the narrator and Achish tip us off to what's going on here. God promised that David would be king. And even though David has put himself in an impossible situation, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, is going to save David out of the mess of sin that he's made so that God can keep his promise. You notice what else is missing right here? Some of the other times with David, maybe there's a psalm. Then he called upon the name of the Lord. Or, bring in the priest with the ephod. I don't know what an ephod is, but we use it to talk to God, and God will speak to us, and we need to hear from God because the situation's hopeless. 
There's none of that here. David didn't get his act together. He didn't say, God, toss down the rope and pull me up. I'm ready to be saved now. No. God rescues David here, not because of David's merit, but because of God's mercy. It's God's character. It's that God keeps promises. God is faithful to keep his promises even when David is faithless. This is God's steadfast love. Some of you kids here today might know this love as God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Do you know that one? Do you know God's love? Does this type of rescue sound familiar? Isn't it just like God to keep his promises to us even when we are not faithful? Isn't it just like God to show mercy even when we have no merit? God rescues David here out of his sin and out of his peril even though David had done nothing to deserve it. Just like how Jesus rescues us from our sin even when we had done nothing to deserve it. Now David's sent away and he goes back to his land and we'll pick up the story of David next week. Well, let's just consider God's mercy to us. In Titus chapter 3, we have this beautiful picture of how God has saved us from our deepest depths of sin according to his mercy. Let's look at Titus 3 together. It says, We ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Pretty bad, right? Our sin is just tearing things apart, causing hatred in our relationships, breaking friendships. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He saved us not because of our merit, but because of his mercy and his character. God will keep his promises to us. God will keep his promises to us despite our sin. God will keep his promises to us in our most difficult things as well. If you've trusted and accepted what Jesus has done for you to rescue you out of sin, out of malice, out of envy, out of hatred, then you've received mercy. And that steadfast love of God, the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love of God is yours. Always. But not only is this love faithful and steadfast, it's also powerful to save. Right? God could save his people by sending them through a sea on dry land. He could save David through the actions of a foolish foreign king. He can save you even through death. Jesus went to death on a cross and defeated death for you so that you have been loved by a love that is stronger than death. What Paul said elsewhere is that neither life nor death nor anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you've been loved by a love that's unconditional and is powerful, what do you have to fear? Nothing. 
This means that you can and should call on God in your darkest days. You can trust God in your darkest days because he saves from the deepest depths. But even more, why not trust God in everything? Why not trust God in your everyday? He's proven faithful. Why not constantly acknowledge your dependence on him? Why not remind yourself constantly of God's faithfulness to you? Why not take every care or fear or doubt to God? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've uh, had a really fruitful time. It's been interesting sitting in this text about David as we've gone through all these examples of his faith. In the last month, I've been sitting down here every week thinking, hold on, (laughs) this is going to get bad. But I resonate with David. I think about, um, I grew up here in the Madison area, went away to college, and um, while there, really came to understand the gospel much better and had the desire to come back to Madison and be part of church planning someday. And God in his um, kindness really made that happen much sooner than I thought. I moved up here pretty much after college and joined this church. And I've just been so thankful for what God has done in Madison over the last decade through the Vine and many other places. But you... Even in the Christian life, you have these things where God, you feel like he's called you to do something. You feel like you have a purpose, and he does give us purposes and things that he wants to do through us. But along the way, there's hard things. They wear you down, right? I've been there. I've had some times where it seemed like the bottom was falling out of friendships while there's really difficult things in family, and there's maybe some hardship in church to go on top of it. And you just start feeling like, God, what is going on here? How do I keep trusting you? All that promise and excitement that maybe I felt just feels so far away now. David walked through that, right? He went down to some very dark depths, some of his own making. But David still wrote psalm after psalm, declaring the steadfast love of the Lord. And if you're maybe like me, I'm prone to skepticism and doubt and knowing that David walked through those things and experienced God's faithfulness nonetheless, doesn't that make his psalms all the more beautiful? They're not written out of a shallow trust. He's been to the bottom and God brought him back. Do you see the depths from which God saved David? Do you remember the depths from which he has saved you? He has. You can trust God in your darkest days because he saved you from your deepest depths. Let's pray. God, we remember your steadfast love this morning. We remember your faithfulness to your people through all the generations. Most of all, God, we look at the cross of Jesus and your love for us. And we remember that there is nothing in all creation, neither death nor life, that could separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing that could stop you from keeping your promises to us. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.